Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Podcast. The whole gang's here. We're still in quarantine. I'm Liz Loza. That's Matt Harmon. Ragu is producing from, well, his room, I guess. Um, in <laughs> I Culver City. Shout yeah. out Culver City. There you go. So, um, Matt, welcome to week whatever this is. How you doing? Ah, uh, you know, I'm, I'm fine, I guess. This weekend, it was kind of getting to me a little bit. Uh, I mean, I feel like it's like hit or miss, you know, sometimes... Sometimes it's like, all right, this isn't so bad. And other times it's just like, oh, this is never going to end, yada, yada. But uh, I'm all right. You know, uh, very, very busy. A lot of receivers still left to chart for uh, reception perception, currently sitting through Juju, which is uh, boring as always. Uh, But yeah, so that's (laughs) that's where we're at. But we got some exciting ones coming up soon. Yeah. And we're going to talk about a couple of the receivers that you charted earlier, at least one of them. I don't know if you checked the doc, but I added someone that, um, surprise, I think you'll you'll be interested to discuss. Actually, I'm excited about today's episode because this, you know, some weeks we are told what to say or we're, it's suggested what to say and we're kind of like making up information. But today, I think some information and talking points and debate topics just organically came into existence. And so those, I feel, are always the best ones to dig into because I think they're some of the same conundrums that fantasy players are rolling around in their heads. But before we get to those, we got to do a little veteran roundup. So um, the Falcons offensive coordinator, Dick Cotter, said that Todd... Dirk. Dirk. What I call him? You called him Dick. I mean, ah! what a... <laughs> Leave that in there. Who cares? <laughs> okay. Sorry. Well, I mean, this quote was this quote was kind of like a dick move to somebody. Yeah. So <laughs> he said in reference to Todd Gurley, who they just added, right? Like, there's always a yeah. little bit of a honeymoon period, but uh, in COVID, that gets shut down. He said, "quote <laughs> The main question that no one seems to know is what is his health status." Well, I don't know, Dirk. If you don't know. How the rest of us supposed to know? I don't have an answer to this, right? This is a hypothetical, what are we doing with a player like this? He is currently the Yahoo consensus ranked RB15. You have to look at workload. Um, You have him at RB19, friend, by the way. Yeah, that's Um, that's, I remember when we first talked about this, we both said it's going to be around RB19 for both of us. Yeah, I think I I have him at 16. Uh, So I'm a little bit higher on him, but... There's 
and a lot of these running backs we're going to talk about today, there is an argument of, there's a question of health and an argument of volume, right? Like even the least efficient running backs, Leonard Fournette, can produce from a fantasy (laughs) perspective if they're given the ball enough times, right? So Todd Gurley is interesting though, because I think something that hasn't been discussed wholly and is very much just a narrative-based discussion is the whole coming home to Georgia, right? Like there's definitely a homecoming. He was such a big part of the Bulldogs offense. Um, And so how much of this is a business move for Atlanta and how much of it is strategic in terms of X's and O's? Yeah, I think it's maybe it's a little bit of both, you know? Yeah, Yeah, I I think... This is an interesting comment because, I mean, Dirk Cotter, I saw a couple Falcons fans that uh, I follow on the internet, you know, being like, hashtag free Sark. Uh, I think I saw Charles McDonald, who's a, you know, a writer for the New York, yeah, New York Daily News. Ooh, or, uh, if you're yeah, begging for that guy. That's a tough scene, yeah. is what they say. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know that, like, I guess in some ways, it's kind of a voice of frustration because, like, normally they would know. You know, at this point, they would know because they'd have put him through a physical and all that. You know, they'd see him every day. Um, but it's just, it's this very strange thing for the offensive coordinator to say. I still think it's a pretty good. I still think it was a great like landing spot for Gurley. You know, it's a real coup for him. But I just, it's so it's such an unknown. It's just one of those signings for the Falcons and then like a player to draft in fantasy who it can go either way. He could be a big hit or he could just be a, like a total flop, I think. Well, it's a leap of faith signing, right? Like yeah. it's a leap of faith drafting if you're going to do that. But so much, I mean, we're going to talk about some other players who were healthy to start the season and then one injury started a cascade of not greatness that, you know, otherwise wouldn't affected them. So, and also Todd Gurley's got a lot to do. He's like begging the Rams for the rest of his cash. You know, I don't know what he's doing on leg day. Like maybe he's texting Les Snead being like, pay me. Yeah. Can you, uh, can you at least give me my cash? I just had to crush a spider here on the end of my desk. Oof. Tough. Things are weird here. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I, but I think we're both in agreement that given what we know of Todd Gurley's skill set and the volume, the perceived volume that he can potentially receive, he's still inside the top 20 running backs for fantasy. Right. I just wrote for, or I just sent in my, or I was just doing the Jaguars preview article that we have to do, like team preview. And it's a similar question, uh, like when, except it's, I feel like it's an even more gross player, which is Leonard Fournette. Like when does he become, is he just a complete fade or is he a guy that we want? Like at some point you have to take the dive on. Uh, I saw Dalton's answer was complete fade. There's no round I can draft him in. And I'm shocked. I, I, I wrote that everybody becomes a bargain at some point, but it's just what's almost like, what's the point? If it's a player you don't believe in, and I believe in Gurley more than I believe in Fournette because like Gurley in a theoretical world is actually a good player. I don't believe right. that Fournette in any world is a good player or like an asset to his offense. I think Gurley can be. But again, it's just dealing in this hypothetical. It's dealing in a theoretical world that we don't know that Gurley can ever get back to that dimension of reality. So 
But it's, Matt, it's also dealing in the reality of the lack of depth at the position. We don't have a luxury of depth the way that wide receivers do. We got to put two running backs on our roster every week in fantasy. And like Leonard Fournette may not be with the team after this year. He's pro- he's not going to be with the team. He There was trade offers. He did not like, you know, the Dolphins didn't bite. All of that was out there. But they still got to run him out. And when I look at the depth, I'm thinking, well, are you really going to pass up Leonard Fournette for, I, I don't know, Mark Ingram? Like, that's a that's a real question. Yeah, like right now, Fournette is RB17 in uh, Fantasy Pros consensus rankings. Um, that's two spots in a full tier behind Todd Gurley at RB15. I just think... I think weighing within the running back group, it certainly is. You get to a point where it's like, all right, again, am I going to take Fournette or am I going to take, yeah, Mark Ingram's a good name to mention or Melvin Gordon. Um, right. Le'Veon Bell's sort of in the same vein. Jonathan Taylor, David Montgomery, these are all players within that same tier. And Fournette, for whatever it's worth, is at the top of that tier because I think he's the guy that you can pencil in the most carries for. Exactly. I think it's just that. I know me personally, if I get on the board, you know, and I don't, I don't know where, where you think he's going to go, like round three, round four, probably something like that. I said if he gets to round four or five, I'm starting to think about it. But I just have a hard time thinking that I'm going to be clicking Fournette's name over some wide receiver or well, tight end. It. Yeah, I it's mean, a that's positional a- preference. Like according to Fantasy Football Calculator is ADP. He is going in the third round. That is too rich for my blood. I wrote the same thing. I haven't posted mine because I like to write them in a Google Doc first and then mull them for a bit before I copy and paste them into our our product or whatever it's called, platform. Um, but I think fourth round, end of the fourth round, like 411, okay. By the way, it's the same place that Mark Ingram's going. Like, that's yeah. why I mentioned Mark Ingram. So, but you're right. There's a positional preference here. Am I waiting until the fourth round to grab my second running back? Well, that depends on where in the snake I'm picking, right? So, yeah. there's a lot of factors. But as for Todd Gurley, I think we're both in agreement that he's a player who has shown enough of a ceiling and has a potential number of carries that makes him. I mean, if Todd Gurley's your RB2, I'm feeling pretty good about that. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's an awesome opportunity because we keep talking about it. Like, there's nobody else on this depth chart. It's it's the Edo Smith, Brian Hill show again. Right. Forget about it. Like, that's another thing, too. It's odd that the, Fa- like, the Falcons, with the, the their moves that they're making, they're, they're expressing a lot of confidence about Gurley, and that could be false confidence but they're expressing a lot of confidence about the player while also publicly saying that we don't know how healthy he is which again the two things don't really jive together because just like when their veteran running back was bad and got hurt last year if this veteran running back is hurt again this year they're screwed they can't run the ball yeah well there's a pattern yeah uh let's talk about T.Y. Hilton, who recently said that he wants to be a Colt for the rest of his career. He also added that he was going to retire at the end of his next contract. So that's (laughs) nice and vague because obviously he's entering the final year of his five-year $65 million contract. He is owed $14.5 million this year. And then in 2021, he becomes an unrestricted free agent. Uh, it was believed and reported that Hilton and the Colts had started discussing an extension 
like in January or February, just uh, or maybe March even, just uh, ahead of the coronavirus pandemic that kind of slowed everybody's role. So are we from that? We should also mention that T.Y. Hilton's entering his age 30 season uh, on our live stream draft show. Scott Pianowski made really good points about continuity. Well, that argument goes out the window when you have a new quarterback, even if he is a seasoned veteran, there's still time for rapport. Um, Rivers, by the way, is 2,091 yards away from passing Dan Marino for the fifth place on the career passing list. So Hilton, we assume, would be a big part of helping Rivers get to that goal. Are you anticipating a bounce back? He's obviously had trouble staying healthy the past couple of years, particularly last year. I will say right away, I ain't worried about this. Like, I I think T.Y. Hilton's going to be the number one receiver on the Colts. And I, I do believe in a bounce back, you know, the lack of reps, um, especially given the time is also like we, we keep talking about continuity and, and um, you know, the, the, the lack of getting to a regular gym or a regular facility. And are these guys going to be in, in game shape? But I also feel like that's going to be true for everybody. Right. So, yeah, doesn't that sort of just level all of those questions like we're probably not going to see as many record break as many records broken this year in terms of yardage and receptions but that doesn't matter for fantasy if we're all working on the same on the same like schedule or same I don't know I don't know what the word is the the same we're all on the same wavelength here at this point yeah the same level I've got the the visual of like um an abacus in my head but that's not right (laughs) (laughs) yeah and I I don't think he's I guess one way that you could approach this draft season being that we don't know how much time these guys are going to spend together. uh, Don't know how much time these guys are going to spend working out, like definitely not at their team facilities for the length that they usually would be at beyond the fact that you're just kind of deferring to continuity. I think that's one way you could approach it. I think another way you could approach it is not to just is not to like draft players like Todd Gurley that have these large health questions. And I don't know that just because T.Y. Hilton was hurt last year that he is one of those players because, you know, by the time we get to week 12, like 15, 16, 17, he's out there playing a decent amount. Like just because there was an injury last year doesn't mean I think he's all of a sudden like a injury prone. Yeah, like an injury risk this coming year. Yeah. I think there are players that are injury risks this coming season. Obviously, Gurley's probably chief among them. I don't know that Hilton really fits into that. And – I just, this Colts offense, like I I saw this quote and I saw people getting excited about the Colts and uh, from, because of the river signing, I just, I honestly, I just don't know how I feel about this offense at all. Um, Clearly they want to establish the run with their, you know, rookie running back and Marlon Mack. I saw, didn't the Colts also say like, or one of the, one of the, one a one B punch, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was a one, it's instead of a one, two punch, it's a one, one punch, which, yeah. All right, <laughs> whatever. Uh, but so they ca- they clearly want to be that type of offense. I do think that whatever's left, I've said this before, but I think whatever's left of Rivers' arm is a good fit in this offense. And I think T.Y. Hilton, they can line him up in so many ways that get him free from press coverage. You don't have to run so many downfield routes. In fact, now that they have a rookie receiver in Michael Pittman, who is more of a downfield threat at this point in his career, probably helps out Hilton. So He's a player that I feel like you're going to start to weigh, you know, against exciting breakout players, but might be a guy that outkicks his ADP, especially if Rivers is still good to go. 
I guess the I also feel like it's very clear to me from what the Colts did on offense, right? They felt they spent their first two picks of the draft on skill position players, um, wide receiver and a running back. And they definitely want to be dealing within this window they at least believe Philip Rivers to have. And so I feel like T.Y. Hilton, I don't want to speculate as to whether or not like he'll be extended into 2021. It wouldn't surprise me if his if he manages or he's offered, who knows if he'll accept it, a contract that matches and aligns with Philip Rivers because the thought is if Rivers can't get it done with this two-year window, then we've got a reboot, right? But in this window, we're throwing everything at it. Yeah, that makes sense to me. So Hilton is wide receiver 25 in uh, Fantasy Pros consensus rankings. And in this, here's the players that are in the tier with him. Devontae Parker, Robert Woods, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, Keenan Allen, Stefan Diggs, then you get to Hilton, DJ Chark, Terry McLaurin, and AJ Green. I think that is a fine spot to start considering him against. I mean, there are plenty that there are plenty of players here that I think he could outproduce, even if they, these guys might be more exciting right now or have been exciting, more exciting at different points of their career. So for me, I will take him. After Robert Woods, closely, but after Robert Woods and ahead of Calvin Ridley. Because at the end of the day, for me, T.Y. Hilton's still the number one receiver on this damn team. And as exciting as Calvin Ridley may be, he's the number two. And, you know, Hayden Hurst is in the mix and there, there are other mouths to feed, if you will, there. So... The, that that those are the two players that I'm sandwiching. I am sandwiching him between those two players. Well, Ridley's up there at wide receiver 18 in, in a whole different tier. He's way higher than, than well, these the guys Yahoo are. consensus. Yeah. Yahoo consensus. He is the uh, he is the wide receiver 21, one spot ahead of Hilton. You and I both have him actually at wide receiver 24. I have Hilton at 22. You have Hilton at 26. You could have held a you know you could have given me a hundred million dollars I would have been able to tell you where I have through the hell I have T.Y. Hilton ranked <laughs> well I think we're we're about in the we, we're in the same same stratosphere yeah, we're in the same same ballpark here mm-hmm. um all right so let's you you mentioned I I was not on the the Titans team preview but I know the squad did a piece on Tennessee and AJ Brown slash Derek Henry I know that Dalton is very high on Derrick Henry. You are the only other person I know who adores him, not just as a player, but as a person. Are you on the same page as Dalton? Yeah, I mean, I I, I think the question this year was whether he could be the – well, is he more likely to be the RB1 or fall out of the top 10 backs? Um, unfortunately, I think – that he doesn't have the passing game volume in order to be like the running back one overall. I still have him like, you know, whatever, six, seven, eight in terms of running backs. Uh, but in order for him to reach that ceiling, he'd have to score like 25 rushing touchdowns or something just because he doesn't catch enough passes. Now, maybe like I think there is a theoretical world again where he could catch passes. I don't think Derrick Henry's like a LeGarrette Blunt stone hands guy that just can't catch the ball. But mm-hmm. No coaching staff to this point has shown a willingness or a desire to use him as a receiver. So that's just kind of wish casting at this point. So that's kind of just, you know, in, so in the vein of the question, I said that he's more likely to fall out 
the top 10 backs just because a couple things go wrong at the goal line or whatever. So I don't know if that means I, I, I still love Derrick Henry. I just think from a fantasy perspective, there's no way he's going to, it would be shocking if he was RB one overall. I think that's a very, very sound uh, summation. Speaking of articles, um, you wrote, um, you wrote an article on for the website and it was titled, I was wrong about Alvin Kamara and Devonte Adams last year, but I'm not changing my mind for 2020. Excellent headline work. Um, I didn't, I didn't write the headline. So <laughs> excellent <laughs> headline work more Mo. Um, but I, I, I read this article and I really, really liked it because I thought it hit on, it was a great topic. It hit on both fantasy acumen and taking these players that underwhelmed, but you know, were expected. They didn't ROI, right? A lot of people are going to have their hashtag burnt takes about these guys, but it's also a touch philosophical as lots of your articles are about, all right, when do you you know, we we talk about take locks on this show and trying to resist the urge to have a take lock, trying to resist being stubborn about pet players. And I think that this was a really good both admission and then it it felt to me like you worked through, like, listen, I understand I was wrong, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm wrong again in 2020 because we're entering the season, hopefully, with the Fingers same crossed. argument. Um, and, you know, obviously Kamara was a running joke because, you know, my friend James Rodea and I drafted him in a, a high stakes league and James still texts me about it all the time. Um, <laughs> Super cool. Yeah, but... Um, you know, Kamara was averaging, and I and you made this point. I don't know if you made it this way or with these numbers in your article that Kamara was averaging over 116 yards per game, though only two touchdowns, and those were both in Week Three at Seattle before injuring his ankle, um, heading into Week Six. It was during practice, and then things sort of fell to, fell apart. And for reference. From week seven through the end of the year, he averaged 83 total yards per game and only four more touchdowns, two of which happened in week 16 and two of which happened in week 17. So of no use to, to fantasy unit, to fantasy players. Um, and uh, like we can't predict those things. We don't know if a player is going to significantly sprain their ankle at a practice heading right. into whatever week. And then I also, you know, I this to me was like, the part of the article that really got me, you referenced a quote tweet that Kamara posted on March 10th um, that was in reaction to his 2019 highlight, highlight reel and third consecutive Pro Bowl selection. And he wrote, on one leg at 75%, but we back at 100 mm-hmm. And now the argument becomes again, okay, well, if Alvin Kamara is fully healthy, what about this Saints offense has changed dramatically except the addition of Emmanuel Sanders. Like, aren't we not in the same position that we were a calendar year ago? Exactly. I mean, so that was what was funny about this, writing this article about these two players in particular was that, and you referenced some of this, like not only is my stance on them not changing heading into this year from what it was last year, because the situations really haven't changed. The exact same reasons to be high on them last year all remain this year, but it was also funny looking at Devonte Adams and Alvin Kamara, how similar 
their 2019 seasons played out in two major ways. Obviously the injury, as you referenced, we can't predict that Adams also got hurt. And then when he was finally, finally removed from the injury report, he started scoring touchdowns. And this was, Mm -hmm. maybe that's just coincidence, but I think the point of it is both of these guys are proven touchdown scorers and that both of them went long periods of time last year when it was, you know, constant complaining about why isn't this guy finding the end zone? zone. Why isn't this guy scoring touchdowns? And just to put it uh, into statistical perspective, in the three years prior to 2019, Devontae Adams scored 35 touchdowns. That was on 8.6% of his targets. He scored a touchdown. And then last year, he scores just five times that's good for 3.9% of his targets. And then with Alvin Kamara, obviously he was just, you know, crushing it. 31 rushing and receiving touchdowns in his first two seasons. That was 6.5% of his touches. And then he found the end zone, like you said, just five times last year, 2.3% of his touches. So there's odd, they're both due for some positive touchdown regression anyways, because they're proven scores, whether that's because of the offense they played in. And also they're, these are elite players too. So I think that, like, you know, and the funny thing, too, I think that the more controversial player is Kamara, because I think everybody's on board that Devontae Adams is probably wide receiver two or one, whatever. But I think people are more, not that anyone's really concerned, but I think, look, at this time last year, Yahoo drafters were taking... Saquon Barkley at number one overall, 75% of the drafts on our website, he went number one overall because there was just that much like clear consensus. And this year there's going to be that much clear consensus, if not more so on Christian Christian McCaffrey, McCaffrey, who was probably, who was the third or fourth guy drafted in drafts last year. So like this happens all the time, (laughs) you know, the, the fourth or fifth best running back can be the best running back in, in, in fantasy next year. And I think Kamara has, the talent, the ability, the situation, and also statistically, there are plenty of signifiers that he's going to be better this year just on a touchdown perspective. All of that together is the perfect recipe for an elite fantasy year. And his backup, or his number two, Latavius Murray, is still Latavius freaking Murray, and he's a year older. And I think people reference that a lot when you look like he doesn't have the touch ceiling that McCaffrey or Barkley does because of Latavius Murray and you know that's totally fine I think that's actually probably true but it's important to remember in that in that series of games I didn't reference the total yards but you referenced the total yards that he was getting in those first five weeks when he was healthy but the more important thing to me was he was averaging 20 touches per game that would put him at a three it's that's a long that's a small to sense of games to extrapolate out of but that's 320 touches over the course of a season, which again, that's not Barkley or Christian McCaffrey levels, but if the efficiency swings on that many touches, that that's going to be more than enough to be the best running back in fantasy. And during that stretch of games, and then again, when Murray or when Kamara got healthy or wasn't healthy, but was back on the field, but in both of those segments, Murray was like not even involved yeah. after Kamara came back in that one Falcons game. There was only one game where he cleared 10 carries. So this isn't a guy that it's, it is not even close to like a one, a one B even a one, two, it's more like a one and then like a two B situation mm-hmm. in this backfield. I think your point about Devonte Adams too is interesting because as you were talking, you know, you're, 
you were mentioning that Adams is probably the less controversial player because he's the consensus or close to the consensus, number one. But that is only because, here's the asterisk, because Nuke isn't in Houston anymore paired with Deshaun Watson. I think out of that move, people are like, well, I got to I gotta pull Nuke down because last year he, Nuke was the consensus number one wide receiver, right? Like now I got to pull Nuke down. So that leaves Devontae Adams. And also I found, a, I found a stat that I think further highlights your point. Yes, he missed those four games, weeks five through eight with a toe injury. But Adams drew the third most targets among wide receivers with an average of over 10 per game. And he managed... 16 red zone receptions, 16 red zone receptions, which was wide receiver three. You mentioned, yes, he only posted a touchdown rate of 6% because he only scored five times on the season. That was, uh, that was eight fewer scores than in 2018. But in 2018, he had the exact same number of red zone receptions, 16 red zone receptions in 2019, 16 in 2018, obviously a huge discrepancy in touchdowns. So when you're talking about a flukiness at the goal line or in the end zone, that seems to be more clear. It wasn't about opportunity or talent, but happenstance, if you will, for Adams in 2019. Yeah, I think he's a candidate to lead the NFL in targets, which was the same logic that I was using last year to take him as wide receiver one. I think everybody will probably take Michael Thomas as wide receiver one yeah. this year because because of what he did last year. But here's the thing. Nobody was expect, expecting like the debate between who should be the first wide receiver off the board last year was like Hopkins and Adams and, and maybe Beckham if you were feeling spicy. Uh, people weren't talking about Michael Thomas as that player, but then you just have all of these confluence of events to make him that guy. And I think that can happen for Adams this year, especially because we're talking about continuity. This guy's been on the same team his entire career. He's played with the same quarterback who is not the same as he once was, but is still a pretty good player and also has an extremely small circle of trust. And Adams might be the only guy in it. (laughs) That's what I I mean. Talk about hashtag trust issues. That is Aaron Rodgers. So, yes, he's going to funnel the ball. I mean, he doesn't even I bet he doesn't even, uh, you know, trust his GM and his coach right now. So Devontae Adams might be it for him. Um, So I have to say, like in reading this article, I started it it inspired me to look back at some of my like not great takes or who do I have take lock about or or who am I waffling over? And it reminded me of when I was doing our ranks, I was I was having a hard time ranking David Johnson because heading into last year, I was bullish on him. I mean, I I even wrote that he was my RB five. I and I liked his like, you know, dual skill set. And I cited the fact that he was hamstrung by an ineffective offense, right? McCoy just ruined him and they misused his talents, but he still managed top nine fantasy productions heading into last year, right? At the end of his 2018 season. And I figured when you look at this retooled offense in Arizona under Kingsbury and you look at the dynamic rusher that Kyler Murray is, there's going to be holes opened up and Johnson's going to be used properly and he'll get a ton of targets. And by the way... That was kind of happening at the top of the season, right? Like he was averaging double-digit carries, uh, 12.6, and five receptions over his first six weeks of the season. He posted... Uh, he posted 400-plus yard efforts out of those first six games. And then in week seven, 
the ankle and back injuries that he'd been playing through evidently, like he had a wrist injury or wrist issue in week three, if we think all the way back, like week seven, it all the S hit the fan. He carried the ball one time with sideline. And then uh, next thing you know, Kenyon Drake's taking his job and he's cut and heading to Houston. So like the question we are dealing with in, with David Johnson is, is he washed? It's this. It's a similar thing to Todd Gurley. Like I don't know. Is he washed at points last season? He certainly looked washed. I mean, his <laughs> OC even said like, obviously he's hurt. Obviously he's being hampered. But if you look at his r- breakaway run rate, three point two percent. That's number thirty six. Evaded tackles nineteen on the season. Gross. Juke rate fourteen point six. Gross. Like, like none of his stats looked even near his ceiling, right? Even near what we had seen. But Mm -hmm. also, when we look at what Houston has going on, who the hell are we afraid of here? I mean, like, what are are we? Okay, so we got Duke Johnson. Well, Duke Johnson. No one believes Duke Johnson's a feature back. Right, like, come on. We got a history there, right? Uh, Then you got Buddy Howell who was an undrafted free agent that Miami signed in 2018 and only played on their practice squad. You got Karen Higdon, who was another undrafted free agent out of Michigan. Texans signed him at the 2019 draft and then released him and then re-signed him to the practice squad. And then they just added a rookie out of Ole Miss, a kid who a Juco kid. I watched some of his tape. He went undrafted as well, and now the Texans added him. So we got three UDFAs who've been practice teamers and Duke Johnson, and David Johnson, and you got B.O.B., the goddamn czar of Houston, saying that David Johnson is a three-down back who's had some very productive years. That was according to Aaron Wilson on Twitter. So, like, it don't it, – it, like, is he washed? This is the question we're asking. I'm not going to make him my RB5. I have him at RB24, in fact. He's just ahead of Devin Singletary and David Montgomery, but behind James Conner. So if you want some reference, that's where I have him. I mean, I I can't tell if he's washed. The continuity argument comes in here a little bit, but when you look at the volume, that's the thing we, you just preached it about Devontae Adams. Yeah, it's a different position, but like that is the thing we talk about. How many opportunities are you going to get? Statistically speaking, the more opportunities, the more production. Yeah, this is this is really one of the hardest situations to 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 decide because part of me completely agrees with with what you're saying. You know, this situation is great. I always say you want to attach like what you what you want to fantasy back somebody that catches passes and somebody that's attached to a good quarterback. Boom, check, boom. Check. You know, yeah. you know, check, check with that one. Um then I start to think about, okay, look, I can almost like hear our friend Chris Harris in my head, you know, as I start to make the argument, which is not fun, by the way, I love Chris, but I don't need to hear him in my head when I'm, um, when I'm, when I'm doubting myself uh, for, on a take, I think about like, you know, I hear him saying like, don't make decisions based off who else are they going to give the ball to make decisions of how good you think a player is. And David Johnson hey, doesn't matter what fantasy numbers he's putting up last year. Hadn't been a good player since 2016. He hasn't had a good season since 2016. That, and that's why the trade is so, I mean, it's so insane for a number of reasons why he's in Houston, but whatever. 
I, I don't know. It's it's difficult though because again, if you just want to be talent agnostic about it, like running back talent doesn't matter. I think you can look at this as one of the best situations in the league, and this is a guy that does have you know a proven three down skill set, even if it was a hundred years ago. So I don't know how I don't know how I feel about David Johnson, and I feel. I mean, it was just, I drafted him in our best ball draft because I sat there and looked at it like there's nothing else on the board with this type of theoretical upside at the running back position, and I need a damn running back. And lest we forget, Carlos Hyde was the RB27 last year. I mean, right, like Carlos Hyde was legit good. Yeah, he averaged over 15 carries per game. He didn't get anything in the passing game, but that's, you know, that's to be expected. You have to imagine that Duke Johnson's going to get more targets. He's going to average more than a target per game like Hyde did. So I don't know. Like when we're talking, for instance, Leonard Fournette or David Johnson, who, let's say it's the fourth round. Like I even think that David, there's so many hashtag burnt takes about David Johnson that Uh, you're going to get him at a better value, right? So like, yeah, I, th- I think like round five, six, I mean, in our consensus rankings, which I have pulled up now, he's the uh, RB 26, the RB 26, not even, I mean, look, you're talking about Leonard Fournette, forget about it. He's up there at RB 20. You're not getting Leonard Fournette next to David Johnson. You're getting uh, David Johnson next to names. Like you said, James Conner, uh, Devin Singletary, David Montgomery, DeAndre, like then we're talking about DeAndre Swift, Cam Akers. Darius Geis, Total Damian Williams, All Sony Michelle, yes. Matt Breida, Kareem Hunt. No shot at Kareem Hunt being the RB one on his own damn team. Like, yeah, I think he's. I think he will probably be at the like the very end of that tier of guys that you can be sure is going to be the top back on their team. Like everybody else, I said after him, there are questions about whether like big big question marks. The main question mark is, are they even the, the top back on their the team? One. We we don't know that. With David Johnson, we know that. And so I think you're going to get him at the end of that tier. So be mindful of that. You know, when you see all those other players go, like, oh, David Johnson's the last guy here. And frankly, it won't surprise me if he outproduces some of these guys that are ahead of him, like a Connor, a Le'Veon Bell, a Raheem Mostert, and Leonard Fournette himself. I think we are inadvertently excited about David Johnson from a value perspective. How about we quantify it that way? Resigned to our fate. (laughs) So the other player that I was thinking about was Odell Beckham Jr. Because we're talking about all of these question mark players, right? And I was not as bullish on OBJ heading into last year. I got convinced but there was a part of me that's sort of like, I don't know, this is a rookie coach, a lot of personalities, like he gets hurt a lot. Eh. But I will say right now, I am much more excited about OBJ than I feel the consensus is, again, because everybody is leaning into this burnt narrative. Everyone's like, oh, fool me once, fool me a thousand times, whatever. But like, and admittedly, OBJ brings all the damn drama all the time. I mean, like, it yeah. wasn't too long ago that he spanked a police officer on the butt at the <laughs> LSU <laughs> National Championship celebration, and like a, a a police report was was made uh, about it. Right? I also, forgot like, about that. Probably don't go make it rain in front of a bunch of college athletes who aren't allowed to get paid. Though who knows that situation could be evolving. But like. Anyway, I I also think, just as a side note, I'm watching OBJ, and I am, like everybody else, voraciously consuming The Last Dance and thinking, like, this is the difference between 
a Michael Jordan and an OBJ. And OBJ has like the ability, the talent, but he just doesn't seem to have the focus um, that Michael Jordan did. And so I don't know. I started thinking about him because we can't deny the talent. And we can't deny any longer that he's going to remain in Cleveland with the Browns as earlier at like a month ago, April 16th, there were rumors that the Vikings were sniffing around. And those were actually shot down by our own Charles Robinson, uh, who said that there have been no calls about OBJ and no discussion of trade compensation and that the Browns do not even have Beckham on the block. So he's going to be with the Browns. We know that he battled a groin issue for weeks. Um, Rap Sheet revealed in early December that, it, in fact, it was a sports hernia that he suffered over the summer and that mm-hmm. he was playing through. You, my friend, did a reception perception, just to bring it back to the top of the conversation, where when charting him, you were definitive about the fact that he looked like he was playing hurt. Now yeah. he's on his IG posting videos of full body workouts, and you know how thirsty we get. Whenever a player posts a rehab, rehabbing player posts a full body workout. Oh, hell yeah. Right. So like he admitted he had this surgery. It was, he said it was probably one of the worst surgeries he's ever had, but how in the world? And he has plenty to compare it to. (laughs) He also, I mean, like, but wait a second. Yes, that's true. But in 2019, like if I'm like, okay, so is it just the injury? I don't think it's just the injury. I do think there's a continuity argument to be made for 2019. We talked ad nauseum last season about Baker Mayfield having trouble finding a rhythm. And OBJ had the second most deep targets in 2019 with 31. That's an average of nearly two deep targets per game, but just 74 receptions. That's Wide receiver, 18. He also had the most drops among wide receivers with 11. So to me, it was a combination of chemistry and injury. Now, if he is fully healthy and if he has had a year of figuring things out with Baker Mayfield, then why are why the hell is Odell Beckham Jr. the consensus wide receiver 16? 16! (laughs) Hey, our guy Dalton's got him at 23. I mean, I mean, I got him at seven. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't understand it. I, I know, I know. It's and I, I mean, we're talking about Devontae Adams was my wide receiver one last year. Beckham was my number two. Like, I thought, and I thought Beck, I thought it was close. Like, I thought Beckham could easily be number one. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Scott and I talked about this on Tuesday's podcast. We're both like very excited about this Browns offense, which feels weird, but it feels like this could be the per. You know, I. I the stupid phrase post hype sleeper team Um, because I like this coaching staff and the way they play offense so much more than I like what Freddie kitchens was doing at any point, even when Freddie kitchens was kind of cooking with Baker Mayfield during Mayfield's rookie year, the way these guys, Kevin Stefanski like approaches offense. And obviously like, of course, a lot of the success last year has to do with Gary Kubiak, but I think you could also argue that a lot of the like over commitment to the run is a lot of Gary Kubiak and then the head coach as well. But I like the way they get players on the move. I like the way they utilize play action. And I think Beckham being freed up on some of those targets is very exciting. Not to mention like, They've got Jarvis Landry, who I think in reception perception, coming off his best season, uh, I think he was awesome last year. They've got two really good tight ends. Well, they got one really good tight end and one guy who could be pretty good, and then a good they running back. They got a boatload like, of tight ends. Yeah, there's there's a lot of potential with this offense, and I think 
you know, you mentioned the continuity issue and the injury issue. And I also think the third issue is like, let's not be like, let's not mince words about it. Baker Mayfield was not good in 2019. That doesn't mean he's not going to be good this year because he was really good as a rookie and it could easily just be a little bit of flip-flop there. So if I think if Mayfield is stabilized and Beckham is healthy, I think he can easily be a top five receiver because he's like a legendary talent. I still, I still will maintain that position. Like what he showed during his giants career, even the last year that he was there is unbelievable. I mean, he has always been that good. Like no one has overhyped his ability. It's just what's going to, what is the rest of his career going to be like? Because can he stay healthy? I think that is the biggest question. Can he stay healthy and can he stay focused? And I know that people don't like armchair quarterbacks, like discussing that piece of the game and being, you know, sofa, sofa therapists. But I, I do think that when you look in hindsight at, Freddie Kitchens and all of the discipline issues, right? Like that was the number one word that was used to describe um, the errors in his judgment. It was just an undisciplined squad. And you have a bunch of personalities who are personalities because they are not particularly withheld when speaking to the press or the public, right? Like we all remember OBJ, like kicking a goal, the soccer goal thing, right? And then proposing to it and, the time he went on ESPN, it was right. like, is you know, Eli Manning any good? And like Lil Wayne's there for some reason. I think you're there's your a point- hype machine around him. But Stefanski, to your earlier point, I think also does not play that way, which is a part of the reason. I mean, when when Stefanski was asked about looking like George Clooney, he just like stared down the poor reporter and was like, I'm not yeah. I don't I don't I, what is this Hollywood like, nonsense, you know? <sighs> where's my PR person? Um, Oh, and the other thing you said, the other thing you said that I thought was really smart was when you were talking about the overcommitment to the run and attributing that to both Kubiak and Zimmerman and Zimmer. I also feel like though at the end or the last like third or quarter of last season, when Kitchens finally did commit to the run and simplify the offense. That was when Baker Mayfield started to click. So now Stefanski has a better mind for that and can improve and tweak on the last, you know, the last month of the season, which is also always what fantasy managers forget about. Cause if they're out of the damn playoffs, they stop paying attention. Very, that is totally true. Totally good point. Well, thank you. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have one more point to make? I got excited. No, the only thing I was going to say is that I don't think we can question um, Odell Beckham's work ethic because, like, he's everyone says he's one of the hardest workers in the league. But, Liz, I feel like we talk about this all the time. It's the common denominator theory. Like, if 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 you're in relationships all the time and you keep having relationship problems, that might be time to look at the common denominator, which you know is 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 you. Spoiler alert! And with Odell Beckham, right. it's Look, we can we can sit here and say like this was unfair, this was unfair, this was unfair, but the drama does seem to follow Beckham and sometimes there's a common denominator theory there. Even if he's really hard working and I've met him before, I think he's actually pretty pretty he's pretty introspective and pretty smart. It, there's no denying, no one can deny that there's a full-on Beckham experience and, you know, that leads itself to uh a lot. <laughs> a lot. Um, well, that was, I think we created a lot out of 
a little bit and spawned yeah. a pretty interesting discussion that we both got excited over during certain points. And we will hope to move that, here's the football word, momentum forward to next Tuesday when I will be back with somebody, not Matt, doing another show. In the meantime, please subscribe to Boxed In while you're at it. We have new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. You can follow us on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. I'm at Liz Loza underscore FF. And that is at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. And we are done. It's no secret that our world has been interrupted. A World Interrupted is a daily podcast telling stories of coronavirus and its impact on the economy. We want to cover the issues in the macro, global economics, the stock market, and our political climate. We'll also cover the micro stories, maybe the ones you don't hear as much about in the news or the media. We hope you'll listen and be a part of the journey. So subscribe today on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.